In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, when we consider the Ten Commandments, we oftentimes think that this is some list of wild and unreasonable and absurd demands, the things that God says in the scriptures. We think that when God tells us to live perfectly according to his law, uh, we think that he's demanding just too much. But he's not. In fact, the commandments are not unreasonable. They're not ridiculous. He's not demanding that we fly or that we move a mountain from one place to another with our bare hands. He's actually asking us to do something that is quite simple, that is straightforward. He says simply, just love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Simple. We break the first commandment whenever we get nervous or anxious or worried about anything. And so what is the solution? Just don't worry. That's it. It's simple. Uh, Stop being anxious. When it comes to those who are addicted to things, to drugs or to alcohol, what is the solution? Just stop. Just don't do it. Don't put the drug in your body. Don't drink. Don't open your computer, whatever it might be. It is that simple. When someone treats you unfairly and hurts you, just don't be angry. And it goes with all the commandments. Just be content. Never covet. Don't lie or gossip or slander. Don't steal. Don't be lazy. Don't commit adultery. If you see a beautiful woman, just don't desire her. Don't ever feel upset or frustrated. Always be obedient. Plan your life around what God says and not what you want. Pray all of the time without ceasing. Don't fear or love or trust in anything else besides God. And when you're tempted, just don't sin. That's it. Just do the right thing. And if you just do these 10 things all the time, then you will earn eternal life. It will be yours. And if you don't, then you won't. Now, I've heard people get upset. Maybe you're thinking this too and angry and say, look, well, I can't do that. I can't keep the law perfectly. I can't help being anxious or worried before I start thinking about it. I am. I can't help lusting or getting angry before the moment comes. I've already desired it. I can't help being unhappy. That is out of my control. So why would God demand things of me that he knows that I'm incapable of doing? Why would he tell us to follow a law that we cannot keep? And if God really loved me, then he wouldn't have commanded this. This is unfair. And I've heard people get upset at this and say something like, so look, I could live my entire life perfectly, perfectly, do every good thing and then mess up once, have one fleeting thought, one idle word come through my lips and then what? I deserve to go to hell. And the answer is yes. James chapter two, verse 10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point point." 
has become guilty of it all. Either you are perfect or you are imperfect and there is no in between. So here's the truth. What God commands isn't absurd or unreasonable. It is simple and easy. And yet no one has done it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is not because God has set the bar so high so as to be cruel and unjust to us, to be unfair. It is simply that we have fallen so deep into sin. And we have fallen so far away from God that the very simple, easy, doable commands of God are now utterly impossible for us. So here's an analogy to help you understand what's going on. Imagine that you have a brand new car. And now imagine that I say, open the door. And without any hesitation or trouble, you just reach right out and you open the door. And if I say, turn the steering wheel to the left, and then you would just easily turn the steering wheel with both your hands. And then I say, turn on the car, and then you would just turn the key or press the button, whatever it is, and the engine starts. It is simple, easy stuff. I'm not telling you to do things that you can't do. I'm not asking you to do something that the car is incapable of doing. Okay, now imagine the same situation, but that the car is totaled in an accident. Or that it goes through a car compactor or crushing machine. And imagine that the car is, is just squeezed into and crushed into a cube. Now imagine the same commands. Open the door. Or turn the steering wheel. Or turn on the car. And you can't. Because it doesn't even look like a car. You don't even know where the door is supposed to be anymore, let alone open it. How are you supposed to even get inside to turn it on? The engine's completely useless. It's, it's uh, com- completely uh, null and void now. The car is completely and utterly destroyed. And now the very simple things that I told you to do when the car was fine are now impossible to do. You can't even begin to do them. The problem isn't the direction or the request I'm making. The problem is that the car is ruined. It is still a car, but it is utterly smashed and destroyed. Well, that is you. Your flesh, your body, your soul, your heart, your mind are good creations of God. They are good things that God has made well. And yet your flesh, your body, your soul, your heart, and your mind have been wrecked. Completely demolished by sin since the very moment of conception. In theology, we call this original sin. That is what David says in Psalm 51. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, we are by nature children of wrath. Psalm 58 verse 3 says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. The liars go astray from birth. It's not that you became sinful, but that you were born that way. Now, some Christians will reject what the Bible teaches about original sin, either in whole or in part. Some think that we're born good, that is without any sin, and therefore we can keep the law. We can do the things that the commandments require. Some think that we're kind of uh, scratched up and dented by sin, that we have a small, insignificant spot or stain on us. But with some effort, we can get through it. 
Others think that we are born as a, uh, in Latin, it's called a tabula rasa, meaning a blank slate. And so they think you're born neutral, uh, neither good nor bad, but we have the option to do the right thing. And in all of these things, they reject what the Bible says. I use the analogy of the car being smashed and rendered useless. But the problem with that analogy is not that it doesn't go too far, but that it does not go far enough. Our sinfulness is worse. Not one part of you, not one part of your body works like it should. You were born with such a horrible, deep, and inexpressible corruption. And for that reason, the law, the commands, the demands of God seem ridiculous, absurd, unloving, and unfair. The problem isn't what God has said. The problem is you and your heart, your soul. It is not God's fault that you can't do what he says. It is your fault. It is your fault that you don't fear and love and trust in God above all things. It's not just that you can't do anything good. It's that there wasn't anything good in you. Your soul Our soul's condition is so vile that even if you never thought or spoke or felt or did anything evil, if you were completely immobile, you would still be sinful and worthy of damnation. Ephesians chapter 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That is, your soul was filthy, rotting, and a decomposing corpse. In spiritual things, you were utterly dead to what is good and perverted to all evil. Your sinful condition is so deep and wicked and horrible and fathomless and mysterious. It is so unspeakably impure that I cannot even explain it. And it's not just that I can't explain it as if you needed uh, just a better speaker to do this. No one can. And in fact, even if we could explain it, your mind and soul would never be able to grasp or understand it. In fact, you cannot ever know or articulate or comprehend how evil you actually are. You simply have to take God's word for it and believe that you are as evil and sinful as he says. You are so sick that you cannot understand your sickness. You are so dead to sin and numb to it that you cannot even feel how sinful you are. And this is the point. You are more sinful than you could ever know or imagine. And yet this means that your dear Lord has loved you more than you could ever know or imagine. This means he has saved you and redeemed you and washed you clean of more sin than you could ever conceive of or think of. He has rescued you from far more than you could ever fathom or explain. Your sin is greater than you can comprehend. And yet Jesus' love for you is greater than your sin. Just as you can't understand the depths of your sinful depravity, neither will you be able to understand just how much the Lord loves you at all he did to save you. 
You will never be able to wrap your mind around just how much he thinks of you, how much he cares for you, how much he desires your salvation, how he loves you and absolutely adores you. You will never understand everything that he had to go through in his life that he endured on the cross to save you, to be your substitute. You will never know how sinful and vile you are. God knows this, and yet not one sin of yours, not one sin on this earth turned him away. Not one sin was big enough or strong enough to keep him away from shedding his blood for you, from covering every single thing that this planet has endured and seen with the blood in his veins. And that means not one of your filthy acts or sins could ever drive him away from you. Not now and not ever. His love is immeasurably wider and longer and higher and deeper than you can imagine. And this is the mystery of all mysteries. That God knows our sin and he forgives it. He knows how sinful and unworthy you are of heaven, and yet he gives it to you. This is something that not even the angels of heaven understand. They simply marvel at it. It is the greatest mystery that God does not look upon us. Though he knows all things, he does not look upon us with anger or disgust or disappointment, but rather he looks at us, he blesses us, he makes his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. And he lifts up his countenance upon us and he gives us peace. Dear saints, your dear Lord loves you more than you could ever know or imagine, more than you can ever explain, more than you can ever comprehend. And he forgives you more sins than you could ever remember or confess. Only Jesus can save you, and he has. He is the cause of your salvation, the cause of your redemption completely. In your baptism, he wiped away all of your sin, every, every stain and blemish of sin from your soul. And he has saved you from everything. So as we begin this Lenten season, meditate upon everything your dear Lord has done to save you. And even if we spend this entire Lent, every second of Lent, every second of this life, every single second of eternity, meditating upon what the Lord Jesus has done for you, we would still only begin to understand how much he loves us. Hear are the words of this hymn. O sinner, come your sin to mourn, so vast and vile that it has borne Christ to this veil of anguish. Son of a virgin, sweet and mild, in poverty the holy child, your substitute did languish. Behold with faith God's only Son, come nigh and see what love has done to save you from damnation. The Father cast on him your guilt. For you, his precious blood was spilt to bless you with salvation. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.